Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. You ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building. you set yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control business and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police departments. Then the fourth floor, the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75, 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you don't have a, you don't have an economic base. Fifty-one percent of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, you know, you only make up twelve percent of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march or demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything.
And welcome to another installment of uh, It's My House. I think I'm going to make me a peanut butter shake today. Or a peanut punch shake, same thing. Anyway, uh, we're continuing our Black Billion series this week. And today's podcast is titled Black Billions, Capitalism versus Color. Black Billions, Capitalism versus Color. Live stream number 619-768-2945. Now, we established, thanks to uh, one of our listeners, uh, Connie Beasley, last Friday, that in the United States, you have a number of communities, um, let's say geographical areas, because we go by Claude Anderson's definition of community. Those highly populated, like, well, start off with St. Louis last Friday that he gave us. Uh, black African Americans in St. Louis, Missouri, have a disposable income of $2 billion and counting. All right. Um, he gave us a statistic on, I think, the city of Detroit, blacks have $8 billion in county disposable income in Wayne County. Uh, where Detroit is, because uh, you got you know communities outside of uh, you know uh, Oakland and uh, Oakland County and place like that. Um, thank you to uh, share with us uh, eleven billion in county. That's what black folks have in disposable county, and that's the we. I mean, I can go. I can narrow it to like Orlando's got about two billion. Blacks have about two billion in county in Orlando, Florida. That's just the city. I'm not even getting into Orange County. A uh, place like Baltimore, Maryland, Blacks here, probably 10 to $12 billion or whatever. So, uh, and then by the end of the week, we're going to give you a break that there's at least 100-plus cities in the United States where, I mean, even the little tiny towns, Blacks have a significant amount of... Uh, uh, somebody's trying to call me during the parking, uh, of money. Now, disposable income. So yesterday uh, we had a caller that told us about uh, an African-American, Earl Mims, and he has his own motor company, car, car company, Mims Motors. All right, so we're going to play a little clip. Uh, where somebody is just—it's uh, less than two minutes. They're interviewing Earl Mims of Mims Motors, which is because um, since we got this disposable income, okay, and you know, for you guys looking for business opportunities, Mims Motors might be a place that you might want to park your money. Well, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> we. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, oh, you gonna see these pictures when they go kill. Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, to answer that question, is a lot of people really, really love the cars. I mean, it's uh, been an overwhelming response to the Sage, uh, the uh, Spider convertible, the hardtop convertible. Uh, we've got the uh, Juggernaut, which is a uh, large SUV. Uh, the Jaeger, which is an extra large SUV. The Crawler. Uh, basically a vehicle that can crawl over just about anything, pickup truck, 
uh, got you know quite a bit of stuff even for people who don't even like really like cars. Uh, we've got a uh, vehicle called the City Car, it's a little three-wheeler, uh, basically like, like a motorcycle, so it's uh, insured as a motorcycle would be. And uh, as we've got a lot of different things, futuristic designs, uh, but aesthetically pleasing business. Not something that's so far out that you're looking at it like, okay, what is it? You know, but it's something that uh, at the end of the day you'll be proud to drive it. Because me personally, I love cars, I love motorcycles, uh, I love going fast. And uh, I want something that when you walk out and look at it, you know, sometimes you look at electric vehicles and it's just kind of like, but this. You know we are. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't fly, we ain't riding. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Mims Motors, www.mimsmotorscorp.com. That's M-I-M-S-M-O-T-O-R-S-C-O-R-P.com. Okay, so that was Earl Mims of Mims Motors, and we're going to try to get him uh, here on live for this podcast. Now, going across the pond, the ocean, over to the east side of Africa, in Uganda, uh, and I think Nigeria has one too, at least one, but we're going over to Uganda right now, and we're going to make a road trip here, but in Uganda, they're opening up Somebody is starting up their own car company over there, too. So let's listen to see what's going over uh, there with uh, manufacturing cars in Uganda. And that's the name of the game, folks. We, we're getting more and more people, dark people of color. Actually, because India's got a – let's concentrate on black folk today. Okay. Um, that are starting their own car company. And once again, the name of this podcast, the title of today's podcast is Black Billions, Capitalism Versus Color. And the reason why I called it that is, the title of this podcast that is, and this is just L.A.'s opinion, actually it's more than that. I'm going to say it's a fact. But it's debatable. We can, we can, you guys can call in and we can debate about it a little bit later after I play these audios. But the reason why I titled this Black Billions segment, Capitalism versus Color, particularly to the United States. The way I see the United States, because a lot of, you know, you hear some people on Facebook anywhere saying that the United States wasn't designed for black people. A lot of people believe that. My philosophy is the United States was founded on capitalism not color. Because there were quite a few black folk, continent of Africa, that got so wealthy that they formed nations that exist to this day. Capitalism, it wasn't color. It might look that way, but the bottom line was capitalism. And then even on this end, in the United States, there plenty, there's a never-ending examples of former slaves. Some escaped the Underground Railroad. Some did it legally through manumissions. But there are plenty of sto- success stories of former slaves. Matter of fact, all throughout the Western Hemisphere, 
that once they got their freedom legally or illegally, going back as far as colonial times in the Western Hemisphere, the entire Western Hemisphere, that they became rich. Paul Cuffey's one of them. If you look up the history of Sierra Leone, um, he helped colonize, colonize that. He was a black shipbuilder out of Massachusetts. Built ships, took a crew over of uh, 39 people over, and some of those descendants are probably still living in Sierra Leone, what we know as Sierra Leone today. Uh, Liberia, um, former slaves. Uh, Maryland County in Liberia was originally its own nation, the Republic of Maryland, started by former slaves. So that's two successful back-to-Africa trips before Marcus Garvey's grandfather was even thought of or conceived. Pluralism versus color. Anyway, let's go to our next manufacturer, car manufacturer, which is happening right now in Uganda. Well, now to Uganda and the East African nation's plan to build its first ever car. Africa 54's Paul Deho visited the car manufacturer and he's here to tell us all about it. Paul? Uh, thanks, uh, Vincent. Uh, engineers at Uganda's Akira Eve Motors Corporation recently unveiled a prototype of its sedan hybrid electronic vehicle, dubbed the Akira Eve Smart. The car manufacturer is slated to start a commercial production of the Kira Eve brand vehicles and passenger buses by 2018. People are likely to ask, what kind of car is that? And the answer is, it's the Kira Eve Smart, an improved version of the Kira Eve car that was first unveiled in 2011. For those who dare to be bold, the Kira Eve Smart has a striking design. One that commands attention. Kira Motors, a corporation, recently gave the Voice of America exclusive behind-the-scenes access. So let's get inside for a test drive. It drives and feels like any regular sedan on the market. And for those who had any doubts, it's time to let everyone know that this sedan has arrived. Kira Motors is a Ugandan government project under the Presidential Initiative for Science and Technology Innovations program. The project is aimed at establishing a framework for commercial production of Ugandan-made cars. Dr. Sandy Stevens at Tagboa is the executive director of the Kira Eve project. We are now targeting the third quarter of 2018, when we think we should begin to roll out, say, about 300 of these cars of the assembly line, but we're creating a capacity of about 850 per year as a start. The five-seater sedan is powered by a rechargeable battery and it also has an internal combustion engine based generator which charges the battery. All these were installed here manually. We haven't had any automation at all in this place. And this is the young people you see around here involved in this. Paul Isaac Musasizi, Chief Innovation and Technology Officer of Kira Motors, 
says that Akira Eve Smack has impressive power and is designed to thrill. Uh, the Kira Smack platform is a platform which comes with uh, three powertrain options the conventional ICE powertrain, the full electric vehicle powertrain, and the hybrid uh, electric vehicle powertrain, which this concept actually is. Once in mass production, Akira Eve Smack will be available in three packaging options the two door, the four door or full size sedan under the five-door hatchback. This car was recently displayed at a public exhibition in Nairobi, Kenya. Akuvuku Albata is the chief operating officer. We um, needed to seek uh, partnerships, working with other stakeholders. If, for instance, um, um, there are people in, in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, manufacturing glasses for cars, we don't have to reinvent the wheel and manufacture glasses here. Kira Eve's mark is sleek with leather interior and smoother transition lines across the vehicle. The creative team at Kira Motors has the capacity, the drive and the passion to make this dream a reality. Doreen Orishaba is one of the engineers. Very exciting to be such, part of such a team that is going to transform Uganda. Meanwhile, Achira Motors already has its sights set on expanding the brand to include a 32 solar-powered Kayola passenger buses. Kayola bus is another innovation made by Ugandans for Ugandans. Industry analysts say Kampala's fast-growing population and rapid urban development has meant more cars on the road, and having a locally manufactured passenger buses could ease the crash of people using public transportation. In my next report, I'll take you to southwestern Uganda where a group of more than 200 women are training and dedicated to waving baskets, masterpieces. Back to you, Vincent. Thanks a lot, Paul, for that great report. Now we want to know what you think about Africa 54 and the stories we cover. You have a conversation on Facebook. The address is Africa 54. And check out our headlines 24-7 on voaafrica.com. Okay, so in Uganda, you got a, uh, they started up a car company, and they're manufacturing buses, solar-powered buses. Uh, and what I, I love about this idea, and, of course, you got MEMS. That's the first audio we played. MEMS is an African-American man. Uh, with Mem go to memsmotor.com. He's got a set up here in the United States as well as uh, in Nigeria, I believe. We miss African-Americans. We miss the dot-com boom and a whole bunch of other stuff. Manufacturing, dealerships, charging stations. There's a whole matter of fact, there are jobs that are not even – they're in the process of, of, of being invented as we speak and listen to this podcast that blacks can get on top of. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that Mims, African-American, he's got something going over here and in Nigeria. And, uh, you know, you heard about the startup over in, um, matter of fact, you can go on YouTube. They, they've already produced some of this stuff. And um, we have another person who's African-American that is doing, just doing some great things in the automotive industry here in the United States. But before I go to him, since we're already in Africa, let's go down, let's drop down to Swaziland by South Africa. There's a company, now I don't think it's a black company, but it's primarily black workers that work it. 
and they got the technology down. And what they're doing there can be done over here. Matter of fact, it's being done over here, but it's just not being done by African Americans, to my knowledge. Here's another opportunity where we can actually produce, manufacture things. The clip I'm about to play is from a company called um, the Fridge Factory, and they're out of Switzerland and, and at, on the continent of Africa. Now, imagine if you had a refrigerator or a freezer that ran off of solar energy. That's what these people have been making for years. So let's listen to this and then let's get busy and starting our own factories over here doing the same thing. In rural Swaziland, communities without electricity now have the means to preserve vaccines and medicines that were previously unavailable to them. Viewers Carolyn Turner has more. A refrigerator powered directly from a solar panel means drugs and even HIV testing kits can now be stored at the correct temperature in Swaziland villages without reliable electricity. The solar fridge is making an immediate impact in the country with the world's highest rate of HIV infection. The fridge was developed as part of the Solar Chill Initiative, an international campaign which helps deliver vaccines and refrigeration to parts of the world without reliable electricity. A group called the Fridge Factory in Swaziland developed a simple and environmentally friendly way of running a solar-powered refrigerator without using a storage battery. The system uses solar power to make ice while the sun shines, which then keeps the fridge cool overnight. Freezing water packs have the added advantage of being easy to maintain, according to Roy Singh, the company's technical director. If you have a problem with water or if there is a breakage in one of the packs, we just go to the nearest server, fill it up and carry on. The fridge factory solar refrigerators are now in use in some of Swaziland's most remote rural communities where electricity is unreliable. Nationally, 30% of the population of Swaziland is HIV positive, but in Nisoko, the number is 80%. Dr. Wisdom Chivia says the solar refrigerator means he can now keep HIV testing kits at his clinic in southern Swaziland where they are most needed. If we don't have a proper storage of those uh, drugs and vaccines, we cannot keep them. So they couldn't receive them and we were referring them to go to other areas. But now because we have this refrigerator, we are keeping those things, then it's reliable. The fridge factory does not use the chloral floral carbons that are known to deplete the ozone. It's converted its entire production to use environmentally friendly hydrocarbons instead. The company says the market for their fridge is growing fast as people realize the benefits. Carolyn Turner, VOA News. There's loads of opportunity and we have that same setup right here in the United States. Now, mind you, uh, the Amish do, they make some of their the, the, uh, refrigerators, but it's, everything, particularly with solar in the Western Hemisphere, uh, particularly here in the United States and Canada, it's in pioneer phase. The best, in my opinion, that's the best time to get in on something in the pioneer phase. Just imagine in the black community, how many people right now are on a payment plan with the electric company? And how many people have been kicked off the grid because they couldn't pay the electric bill? I got some, as a matter of fact, I think Friday's podcast is titled, uh, and this is part of the Black Billion series, have you 
have you has your lights been shut off? There's a bunch of people uh in practically every city that has had I mean large numbers where the, the, the electricity's been shut off or the water's been shut off. So by setting up, I mean, you can make money manufacturing, you can employ people manufacturing these, these solar refrigerators or freezers. Uh, the, I mean, what's killing people right now? You know, they're going to work in rush hour because they got to pay that electric bill. You know, they got to put gas in the tank to get to them for the work. Now, imagine if you had an electric car, EV, from them. Or maybe an import, instead of having a Mercedes-Benz, which is an import, or a Lexus import from Japan, you know, if you wanted to import, get it from Uganda and Nigeria. All right? Or we're about to play, because Memphis, it, he's in the United States. Now, the next one, and we're going to go to our phone lines today uh, after this next clip. Today's podcast is titled Black Billions, Capitalism versus Color. My it's my house philosophy, and you can hate it. Is this country was founded on capitalism, not color? It might look like it was founded on color, but in reality, they imported the labor because it was cheap labor, and it would it would affect the bottom line. So this country was founded on capitalism. Hey, that's L.A. So we'll debate that. 619-768-2945. That's the live stream number and the call-in number. We're going to play this last clip. This last audio clip features another African-American. And he has a YouTube channel titled Rich the Mechanic. They're exotic. They're surreal. They're just look like nothing else on the road. So much engineering time, effort, and hours went into creating these masterpieces. But there's also a flip side. Well, let me pause there for a moment. Rich the mechanic, Rich is a black guy. African-American right here in the United States. His YouTube channel is Rich the Mechanic or Richard the Mechanic. He's known as uh, a rogue Tesla mechanic. What this guy does is he scopes out junkyards for wrecked Teslas or damaged Teslas in the junkyard, or he'll go online and look for an auction, an auto auction online, where they're auctioning off Teslas that have been damaged or wrecked in some kind of way. And he buys these Teslas and he restores them. Imagine if you partnered with him and did a dealership. It's wide open. So anyway, we, here it is, Rich the Mechanic, and then we're going to open it up the phone lines and then get your feedback on this. this They're exotic. Uh, They're surreal. They just look like nothing else on the road. So much engineering time, effort, and hours went into creating these masterpieces. But there's also a flip side. Tesla's stance on rebuilding vehicles is only they should be able to do it. Now, I would say I'm the first person to bring a Tesla that's completely dead to running and driving, almost showroom floor quality, 
independently by themselves. At this point, I would consider myself the Dr. Frankenstein of Tesla. People need to know more about the products they own. If you own something, if you purchase something free and clear, then you should be able to fix it yourself. I don't want people to think that they're too small to have a major company make changes. Don't feel that you're not being heard. You do have a voice. channel called Rich Rebuild. I also go by Uncle Rich, uh, Car Guru. You're probably asking yourself, Car Guru, what are you doing in that sweet, sweet race car bed? Well, you think my life is all fun and games? Here's some of the things you have to deal with when you hobble together two broken Teslas to make one working Tesla. This car's been sitting for so long, you just don't know what's gonna happen. I think if someone would have watched the channel, they'd probably describe me as a DIY enthusiast to the extreme. Slash Tesla vigilante, honestly. <laughs> they'd probably say. That MTU screen doesn't look so clean. Uh, it doesn't? Sorry, I fixed that right now. You may hear some clicks. You may hear some buzzing. The car may explode. I don't know what's going to happen. So. No freaking way. The door handle's just extended. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. This car's been sitting for over a year. I want people to have their cars work. I want people to enjoy them. I'm just trying to help. It may not come across that way sometimes, but, you know, there's a reason why I've owned 10 myself personally. There's a reason why I physically touched and helped people build over 100 cars already. Uh-oh. Oh. First time it's ever happened. That's all right. Tesla's the gatekeeper to us repairing our own goods because they want control over Tesla fixing the cars. They want control over Tesla selling you the parts. They just want everything under their control. Tesla service, how may I help you? Hey, how you doing today? Um, I have a P85. I need those little lug nut covers. What do you need those? What, why? Oh, oh, oh. sorry. Hold, hold on one second. Hold on. <laughs> one of the things I enjoy is calling them out in their mistakes. You think Tesla's out here playing games? Tesla wants answers. Oh, hello. Sorry, sorry about that. You still there? Uh, yeah. I think a fundamental consumer right is your ability to fix whatever you rightfully own. The fact that people don't have another alternative but to go into the manufacturer, that's a huge, huge issue. There's a lot of gray area as to what you actually own with, with these cars because in order for the major functions of the car to work, they have to talk to Tesla. I live in Massachusetts, and in Massachusetts they have a right to repair act. It, it does protect what I do. It makes it easier for me to get the tools that I need, but 
the language is very interesting. The language states that you have to have the same tools available that the dealers do to fix their cars. Well, guess what? Tesla doesn't have dealerships. That's a loophole right there. All right. So uh, this is my uh, basement full of Tesla parts. These are the, all of the parts that are required to uh, put a Tesla back together effectively. These, uh, right here I have all the battery modules that go in the battery pack. I have the, uh, the coolant pumps that are here. I have uh, a few MCUs, which is the media control units, the main master screen of the car. But these are the things that you have to do to uh, keep a Tesla on the road, you know, to have a, an inventory of spare parts so that you don't run out of stuff when you need it the most. I mean, really, it's a gold mine because you can't find a lot of these, a lot of these parts uh, uh, back at Tesla. I get my parts from other cars. So what I have to do is I have to purchase other wrecked vehicles, take the parts I need from those, and then harvest those parts for the cars that I need parts for. In terms of being tricky, it's extremely tricky because if you need a specific part, you have to hope and pray that the car that you're taking the parts from has it. What I'm doing right now, fixing these cars, you know, under the radar from Tesla, is setting myself up for some big legal problems in the future, potentially. But because I think the cars are so great and I want to help people in that sense, I just think it's just something that I have to do. I have this part right here, and this is the visor that was in a Model S that actually was severely burned. You can see the burn marks on top of this. And, you know, to the untrained eye, you could probably just throw this part away. What's the point? It's burned. But if someone needs the spring that actuates the hinge for the visor, or if someone even needs this part right here, this could be recycled. You know, you shouldn't just throw it away as is. A lot of these things are still usable, like these hooks right here. This could probably be cleaned up really nice and put in another visor piece. We live in a day and age where people just throw things away. There's plenty of benefits to fixing your own cars. You know, it's less waste, eco-friendly, creates jobs, eases pressure off the manufacturer. It just, it just makes sense all in. So I figure if I could, you know, do something to contribute, help bring him back on the road, give him new life, I think it's a win-win for everyone. So a while back, a friend of mine said that he got a job at Tesla and he was going to bring one by. And we took a ride in it. I said to myself, I could see myself wanting one of these things for sure. About a year after that, I purchased my first Model S that was in a flood and I started working on it. I spent $14,000 on a car that didn't run or drive and showed no signs of life. I had no support from the manufacturer. I was dead in the water. So I thought about it and I said to myself, I'm already in $14,000, let's just go all in. So I actually ended up purchasing another car that wasn't in a flood. Uh, I brought it home. I had two Teslas side by side in, in each garage bay. And over the course of, you know, several months, I slowly transplanted electronics from one car to the other. And it was just, I, I couldn't believe it. Slowly people started saying, maybe he's onto something here. Maybe he's not that crazy after all. Maybe this can be done. So today we're gonna check this burnt Tesla Model S out. Uh, this Tesla Model S was uh, hit in the front by another car. The other car caught fire. And as a result, the front of this car burned as well. When I saw this car online for the first time, my eyes just lit up. I mean, the front end was completely toast. 
Uh, everything was everywhere. The wheel was actually in the back, and it was completely undrivable. But there were a couple pictures that I saw the interior, the back seats were still good. So I knew the second I saw this one, I had to buy it. Even though it seems like, you know, it's not much to look at and there's literally trees growing inside of it, um, this is still worth a lot because for someone that's been rear-ended, instead of waiting, you know, four to six months for parts from Tesla, you know, they could just have the back half of this car, bring it to a body shop, and have oven running in a couple weeks. So many engineering hours have gone into making these, why throw it away when I could just take parts from this one and help someone in need. Seeing an abandoned car like that, having it sit in the field abandoned, being covered by snow and ice and dirt and rocks, and it almost hurts in a way. It's, technology's my thing, so seeing something like that is just, it hurts almost. If the mission and the motto is, is sustainability, then um, you know a car like this could sit in this state of the insurance lot for years before it gets picked up. My idea is to actually cut the front half of the car, remove some plastics, recycle the aluminum, and then I'll use the back half for a car that was rear-ended and needs fixing. It's aluminum, so it's not that hard to cut. So I'd probably get a sawzall and I'd start about right here. So I'd do it myself, yeah. I'd do it myself. This is the storage area I keep a lot of my parts in. Uh, I have a rear seat cushion from a Tesla that's been sitting here, kind of getting mold all over it. There's just parts, there's parts everywhere. I think I am obsessed. I didn't even think about that. I think I am. This is a lot of shit. I can't throw anything away until the project is done. And the problem with me is the project's never done. It definitely goes against Tesla's mission statement, but if there's an issue with one of their Teslas and if only they can fix it and no one else can, it sits in a field for years. How is that sustainable? Tesla service, how are you today? I'm doing very well, thanks. I have a uh, 2012 uh, Model S and it's giving me an issue charging. Uh, I've narrowed it down to one of the chargers under the rear seat. Uh, how much do those go for? Can I have your VIN number? Oh, sorry about that. Sure. My VIN number is uh, 5... Um, we actually can't sell you any parts for that car either. It's on our restricted VIN list. Ah, okay. All right. Uh, no parts at all? Unfortunately not, sir. I've expressed my frustrations to Tesla, mostly over the phone but I've expressed a lot of my views and a lot of the things I've gone through on my, my personal channel. People at Tesla, they do notice the channel and they, they, do, they do know. Hey guys, it's your boy Rich here. And a buddy of mine that's also into Tesla rebuild game, he recently got a letter in the mail from Tesla saying that there was an airbag recall. There was an issue a while back where, I mean, there was a recall for airbags and Tesla just refused to replace airbags on cars that they felt that they shouldn't support. So I made a video saying, what do you guys think? This doesn't seem right to me. Let me know what you guys think about this one in the comment section. Should Tesla be allowed to determine which cars it does and does not service, or should they abide by the NHTSA's rules and make sure that all cars are repaired free of charge? And three weeks later, Tesla called my friend up and said, hey, come back in for an appointment. It's gonna be great. Let's get that airbag all set for you. 
they won't make it easy, but eventually they're going to have to make it so that they help people or, or third-party repair shops build their vehicles. project that I'm working on right now, it was in a flood. So that motor and that battery, they're just toast. So I have to get a trailer and pick up the motor and battery from a car that was in a rollover to transplant into the flooded car. Looking at the front of this battery, uh, it looks like uh, in the crash, the top case may have popped off slightly. It looks like some water got into the battery. Not feeling great right now. I probably have to pop that cover off and uh, see how much. Okay, that was a little snippet uh, from Rich the Mechanic. And here's a black... Actually, you can go to his YouTube channel, Rich the Mechanic or Rich the Mechanic. And um, he didn't try to get a job with Tesla. All right, he saw where Tesla was, he, he found a niche or a few niches where Tesla wasn't covering customer service, technical customer service, you know, as far as the mechanics or the maintenance of a car, uh, missing items or something like that. And he created a business out of it. That's why I titled this this today's podcast Black Billions Capitalism versus Because you you could have some people that went to Tesla, let's say they were, I mean, top notch mechanics and they couldn't get a job with Tesla and maybe they said, you know, there's discrimination. Tesla's motor companies is is racist. He didn't do that. He saw an opportunity and started a business. Teslas that are basically that people wrecks. They either in the junkyard or on a, a junkyard that's put them on auction, and you can bid on them online. Black man was in there right here in the United States. So when you get a chance, go to YouTube, Rich the Mechanic, and then you can because uh, some of the the data that we had on his last audio. It's you'll see Rich walking around junkyards and looking at Teslas that have been, you know, wrecked. That you know can't do anything with them. But you think you can't do anything with them. The average person who's not mechanically inclined or whatever. So uh, I mean, he's like a walking industry, uh, as you'll see uh, when you get the visual on YouTube. So. Something I brought up yesterday in relationship to today's, um, what do you call it, the title, Capitalism versus Color, is, all right, they say black folks in the United States, we got like a 1.7 trillion purchasing power. But yet, white folks might have 10 times or 100 times that. That's okay. What I'm saying is, don't look at anybody else. Don't, don't look at what they're doing. Look at people like Rich the Mechanic. Look at what they're doing in Uganda, producing their own buses, solar-powered buses, their own cars, 
Look what Mims Motor is doing here in the United States, Earl Mims, who's a black man. None of these people are marching. None of these people are protesting. None of these people are crying white supremacy. They have recognized a niche out there in the transportation business as well as solar with the fridge factory. And these are pioneer industries which, forget about millions, some of these people are going to end up making billions. Now, on another podcast, we're going to cover how to protect it. Because, see, once you got something good, you're going to have to learn how to protect it, and there are various ways to protect it. But that's not the scope of today's podcast. Anyway, Black Bears, Capitalism versus Color, 619-768-2945. Let's go to the phone lines. Area code 803, your mic is open. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Jess Keisha out of Columbia, South Carolina. I'm just in listening to the podcast today in regards to uh, capitalism versus colorism. I would like to actually have to agree with you um, that I do believe that our country was founded on capitalism. Um, and if we really look at it, um, any type of political or economic system that we currently are experiencing are controlled by private owners. Um, it, it, it seems, you know, a lot of times the black people or people of ethnicity, any minority, which is not the majority in the United States, um, <clears throat> that um, everything is, is built on uh, white supremacy or, you know, what we say um, as far as um, everything's controlled by the white man. Um, at the end of the day, in order for us to beat capitalism, um, we have to have our own banks. Um, if, if we look at it, banks pretty much, um, even though it's limelighted a lot of times, but banks pretty much control the monies of, of any region. Um, uh, of course, unless you have people stuffing monies in their backyard, which you, you don't you don't find that much anymore. But um, it's it's about banks, and and as far as African Americans are concerned, because I'm an African American female, um, I personally don't know of many black-owned banks where we are able to um, help our own people to get their own uh, own businesses. And in the event that we do. Um, have them, we find very little black um, support in those businesses. Um, and, and at the end of the day, in order for us to beat capitalism, like I said, it, there there has to be the, 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 this, this private enterprise, it has to be broken. So we have to find out ways that we can capitalize off of our own dollars. And if we do not get black-owned banks, it will never happen. If we do not support black-owned businesses, it will never happen. You can have a, a black person um, at, at a, a store um, selling everything that Walmart sells. Um, but at the end of the day, people are going to go where? To Walmart. Um, and, and that's how the rich stay rich. If, if we don't get a mindset to, to, to build private businesses, um, then we will continue to have these type of discussions. Um, so that's my feedback um, on on the uh, topic today. 
And thank you for your fear. Matter of fact, we're going to have to have you on next week. I'll give you a call by the end of the week about this weekend. Uh, because what I want you to talk about is um, a form of, well, intellectual property, particularly in the form, you know, the recording industry. In other words, how because a song, which we got your, we got your song in our, our library here, um, how you take that, how you get it, how you go from idea to getting the money to record it uh, to, you know, distribution and things like that. Um, because that, that that's a financial mechanism in that as well. So I, I'm going to give you a call by the weekend so we can have you come on and talk about that. Because one of the things I mentioned yesterday is the raw material of everything that we see forms of wealth comes from intellectual property, which are thoughts, right. ideas. Ideas. So um, I want you to talk about that because that's one area um, where black people are basically, at least in the United States, have been left alone. So hard to, now, we've been ripped off. That's another podcast. Okay. But I'm talking about with Barry Gordy, with Motown, Gambling House with Philadelphia Sound, Master T, Jay Z. Beyond, I mean, on and on. They, you know, they've recorded songs, which is intellectual property. Well, the only distinction between them, and then they've had to protect them through copyrights and things of that nature. Now, there's a bunch of stories on people who haven't. They've just looked at the creative part, but they haven't looked at the business part of how to protect it, but uh, and how to get the finance and all that. But like in today's podcast, we. You know, we talked about blacks who have started auto dealerships or car companies. All right. Um, like I said, it all starts with intellectual property. So once we have an idea, okay, depending on what, you know, if it's, if it's in songwriting, poetry, or, or something of that nature, okay, how do we protect it? Do copyrights. Uh, mostly through copyrights, but then again, if you got, matter of fact, I'm going to try to get her on here. I asked her once already. It's the woman, her professional name is Bernadette, Bernadette Cooper. Started the the, uh, the female girls group, a woman's group, Climax. Had a string of hits back in the, I don't know, 90s or something like that. The men all paused, meeting in the ladies' room. Um, she started the group That's a success And then she went out on her own She's still out on Bernadette Cooper And then one of the other members Of the group Took the name Climax Because it's spelled with a K so It has a unique spelling And what she did Bernadette never legally protected the name No copyrights no trademarks, nothing like that, and started another group using the way Bernadette Cooper uh, spelled it, but she legally protected it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask her again, because when I asked her the first time, um, I forgot what she told me, but I got on my friends list. 
I'm gonna see if I can get her back on. But anyway, I want you to talk about that. Uh, when I, you know, we'll set that all up for next week because, like I say, once you have an idea, be it for a car, a song, some new way of doing whatever, because I mean, it's it's inexhaustible the ideas that we have. But that's the first basis of wealth, the idea, and we all have it. So thanks for that feedback. We'll get back to you by the, you know by this weekend on getting you scheduled to talk about. Um, you know how to you know how to get a record produced and, and that and that type of thing, and how to protect it and and all that as well. Seven seven three, your mic is open. <laughs> you know you got it on my subject. You know that's what I that's what I do. Good morning, everybody. That's what I do. You definitely on my subject. You know I was talking to you about my son starting a summer plant here in Chicago. And that young lady that you just had on, I'd like for you to give her my uh, my phone number. And uh, I'm going to see if I can't uh, find a way to get her to Chicago at the summit because she's right on point so that uh, we can give our people some kind of nod to where they can create an opportunity for themselves. And it all starts with an opportunity. Capitalism and politics run this country and the world, as far as that matter. Capitalism and capitalism and politics run the country. So if you don't have either one or you just have one, just one, you can get in the game. But if you don't have neither one, you can't get in the game. Because you got as you say as you stated, it starts with an idea. And that's where I made a lot of my money. Well, I won't say a lot of money, but I made a pretty nice living when I had a gas station, a body shop, and I was fixing cars, restoring cars, and doing all that stuff. And I had four businesses within within uh, 200 feet of each other, four. It was like in a square because of the way the street ran. And then I got out of there in the trucking so I can learn about transportation and how that operates. You're on point this morning, and I'd like you to uh, find a way to bring that information that you have today to the summit when you come so that we can play this to the audience on on the 6th of of October. I think they need to hear this. And uh, uh, Africa, they've been making cars over in Africa for a while. It didn't just start. They've been making cars over there for a minute. Somebody over there has got a car. I don't know if it's gold or what color that car is, but it is a it's one of a kind in Africa. Because, you know, I got a lady that's a, one of my members, that she lives in Africa, and she was telling me about it and showing it to me on, on, uh, on the uh, phone that she has. So... You're right on point this morning, again, as always. So, yeah, we we need this type of message uh, distributed throughout the country in the black community because we've got enough land to uh, feed ourselves. All we have to do is plant, plant the food and harvest it. My wife was in Pembroke just uh, last Monday in Pembroke gathering up some food 
and she brought it home. They was harvesting food. And, uh, you know, uh, we've got, I got a lady that's right here that lives with us that's a songwriter. And she wrote songs for a lot of the, a lot of the people that, uh, a lot of the people that, uh, uh, were then very gaudy. And let's see if I can go back here in the room and find her. She can speak to you and tell us some of the records that she has out and who she wrote sure. for. All right. Yes, ma'am. Let me just a minute. I'll see if she's in the room. And uh, she wrote songs for people that that was uh, in, in Michigan. So uh, I'll tell you, the connection is coming together. Well, I'll tell you my pleasure. While, while you go get her, let me play Lakeisha's song uh, right now while you go do that. Okay. All right. I wake up it is you. as I breathe, it is you. as I live every day, it is you. oh wow, as I walk, it is you. as I talk, it is you. Yeah, yeah. everything that I do, it is you, so goodness of my own, that I what I have, I don't deserve the many blessings that you pour. Beyond my thoughts and your thoughts, I need 
that was Lakeisha. She, uh, we co-hosted the show together on It's My House uh, about two or three weeks ago. Matter of fact, let me open up a mic again. Lakeisha, how can people get a hold of uh, you for that recording or doing gigs or anything like that? Um, well, you can reach out to me on any digital um digital social media platform. Uh Facebook is um just Keisha, that's J U S T K I S H A. Um you can contact me via Instagram underscore just J U S T Keish K I S H and or Twitter um at just Keisha. Um you can also reach out to me via email. Um uh, my email address is just Keisha online at gmail.com that's j-u-s-t-o-n-l-i-n-e dot com at uh, gmail.com um, if you would like to contact me via phone uh, contact number is 803-609-8001 um, did just release that, that single my first single I've ever released on the 15th of June um, which is doing quite well um, getting a lot of highlights here um, have a couple opportunities coming up I'm very excited about, and I'm, I'm open to, to come and uh, share the message of It Is You um, anywhere. So please definitely reach out to me, um, and uh, we can talk and, and move forward. Thank you for the opportunity. Let me ask you this while we got you on here, because we, we're going to bring you next week for an exclusive uh, on the mechanics. Of- like, all right, you, getting past the creative part, all right, you wrote the song, um, but and you got it recorded. Well, let, let's say, how much did it cost to get it recorded? And then what? Me, I mean, is it on disc or the mechanical part of stuff? You know, the cost and things like that. Because a lot of oh, and the protection of it. You know, did you write the song or who wrote the song? And is it how is it protected, copyrighted, or what have you? Um, well, uh, the song is uh, definitely copyrighted through. Um uh, the U- U.S. copyright um, takes about um, eight to ten months to receive your copyright, but it always does retro back to the initial time of the submission. Um, it is also registered through BMI, um, which is um, helps with, like, your royalties, that type of thing. Um, one of the important things that I would stress that I did not know in the beginning is um, making sure that it is encoded with Nielsen. Um, a lot of people or producers um, will tell you, yeah, yeah, you know, upload your song on um, TuneCore or upload on CD Baby for distribution on um, streaming platforms, which is great. Um, but if you're not encoded with Nielsen, it's just like it's spending free of charge and not getting any credibility. It's not being charted. Um, so that that is very important. Um, also building relationships with uh, DJs, building relationships with the radio um, stations, knowing which radio stations that you need to target um, because, of course, every radio station is not formatted for your song. Um, so doing that, marketing yourself is very, very important. One of the things that I did not do in the beginning was marketing and promotion. I kind of learned that from the back end, so now I'm kind of retroing back and kind of having to play um in, in Rewind, I'm trying to get my marketing promotion up to par because when you are an independent artist and you do not have a label or you do not have any marketing or promotion, then no one knows who you are. You know, you're really excited about your song when it first comes out and the first week passes by and then 
what are you going to do after that? So marketing promotion is very important. You have to have the money to do that. It's not free of charge. You know, Pookie them, you know, your cousin Ray Ray them can probably give you a shout out on Facebook or something like that, which is great because um, any type of um, of advertisement is good advertisement. But uh, or radio play is good radio play. But if you don't have consistency in marketing and promotion, you will become irrelevant. And we're living in a day and age where social media is so important. Um, I was not very active on social media at the onset. I didn't really start getting active on social media until about a month before my song was released, um, in which that is horrible. Um, You have to build an audience. You have to build a fan base um, that's going to continue to support you. People um, I did, you know, get 300 CDs initially, um, which I have like 15 of them left. They've sold out in about the first a month and a half. But 300 CDs um, is not really a lot of CDs. So you have to have money to invest in yourself. You can't wait for people to push you. If you're even if you do have marketing, even if you do have promotion, they should never be working as hard as you are. You have to um, be a consistent. If people and you know everybody is so big on, well, I'm just trying to get signed to the label, just trying to get signed to the label. You need to educate yourself on the business side of music before you sign to any label, um, because if these people give you all this money up front you have to be able to return that money. And there's so many artists that end up uh, bankrupt because they did not ask the questions that they needed to ask in the beginning. They did not get the legal advice that they needed to get in the beginning. So all of those things are very, very important. And what I'm doing is like uh, surrounding myself, building relationships outside of just, you know, can you play my song? But building relationships with people um, to where um, they know you on a personal level, getting on these podcasts, coming on these radio stations, on these radio shows, even if my music is not promoted, but showing support. In order to get support, you have to be able to show the support. And you have a lot of artists that they, they, they push themselves, but they don't push other artists. And if the independent artist industry is, is, is uh, um, can be great, but we're so naive and so um, un unknowledged um, like we should be on and, and, and not surrounding ourselves with people that we're needing to surround ourselves with, not asking the questions that we need to ask. And if people are pouring information out to you, make sure that you're taking note of it and not just, you know, wasting their time, but actually doing what they're advising you to do because they've been in the business. So those are some of the things you definitely want to make sure that your music is protected. Um, make sure, like you were stating, uh, the Bernadette lady, you know, kind of someone stole her song, and it happens. Um, pr- producers, a lot of times, they may not necessarily write the song. Like, I wrote It Is You, and I came up with a melody, but I didn't compose it. A producer composed it as far as the instrumentation and the direction and all of that. So they have a part in the song, and you have to make sure that you are not selling yourself short either. Um, so those are those are some very, very important important things and um, that you want to do in six to eight months out, you should still be promoting that song. A lot of times we think, oh, well, I, 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 I recorded a song and released it uh, 30 days ago. I need to get back in the studio. No, 30 days is not enough for unless you are a mainstream artist and people, you know, you're already established or nationally recording and people know know who you are, like Marvin Sapp, he can drop a song today and it will play six months from now. He don't have to do much work because he's already established. He already has a following. He already has a name for himself. But people like us um, who 
do not have that. We have to stay consistent. So it's not always, the answer is not always putting out more music. The answer is pushing what you already have. Um, and like Corinne Hawthorne, that, that her song um, has been really out now about a year and a half, and it's still a hot song. But she has a team in place, and, and that's important. You have to have a team, and, and, and you want to not have to spend all of your money, but you have to have a budget, a monthly budget that is strictly towards not your bill money, not your savings, but a budget specifically for your artistry where you can continue to invest in yourself, you can continue to um, – pay the monies that you need to pay to get the services that you need to get to gain the exposure that you need to gain so that you can have the platform that you're wanting. So that's some of my feedback about it. Okay, thank you. Like I said, we're going to bring you back for next week and uh, do an exclusive on that because uh, everything you're talking about is fundamental. And you, what I like about your story is you didn't wait around because there's, there's a lot of people twice your age that have been waiting around in that basement looking to get discovered. <laughs> and it, it don't work that way. So mm-hmm. that's why on this platform we, we want to put out the feature people like yourself and as well as others that what people need to do in order to, like you're not going to get it. Nothing wrong with marching, but you're not going to get the, the, the production that you need for anything. You know, somebody out there listening, you might make the best bread putting on the planet. Might have the best recipe out there, but it won't get discovered. Uh, it, it can pay your bills. You can actually start an industry out of making bread pudding, if that's, if that's what you want to do. So that, that's where we're going to go get geared towards it. Um, 773 Pleasant, your mic is Yeah, back you know, I, 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 I'd like to get her email address. Real shortly, and then I'm going to let her talk to uh, Ms. Collins. Keisha, your email address? Um, you can reach just Keisha, it's J-U-S-T-K-I-S-H-A. K-I-S-K-A. S-H as in Harry. S-H-A. A online. Okay. Huh? Online. What did she say? At gmail dot com. At gmail dot com. Let me yes, see sir. if I got it right. Let you write it down for me. Gmail yeah. She's gonna give it to you over again. Okay. Okay. Yes. Could you give me the information? We have gmail dot com. Yes, it's just Keisha. That's J U S T. Yes. J U S T. I have it now. Keisha K I S H A. Uh huh. We have that card. At gmail dot com. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Online. Online. Just Keisha. Online. O N. Keisha online L I N E. O N L I N E. Yeah, I got that part. Just Keisha online. Mm-hmm. At Gmail. At Gmail dot com. Nah, that's complete. Okay. Okay. Now let me ask you something. I'm a songwriter. 
Uh, are you ever interested in new material? Yes, ma'am. I, I used to be a staff writer at Chess Records, you know, and I never laid out my craft, you know, but I've had some pretty, pretty, I've had some pretty nice hits. But yes, ma'am, I'm always open for new music, always open to collab. Um, and um, I generally, well, I've, I've in the well up to now, I've written all my own um, music. Um, I've just, it is you is just the first single that I've recorded. Um, but yes, I am open to music, other music, and um, you know, collaboration. So please, definitely reach out to me. I'd love to uh, to work together. Okay. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a few little things together and send it to you. If you're interested, you can holler back. If you don't holler back, I know you're not interested, okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very kind. Wait a minute. You didn't tell her who you wrote for. No, I told her I'm going to send her. You want to send her some stuff? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. I'm gonna, we're going to send her some uh, email or some stuff so that uh, she can have it. LA. Okay. Yes, sir. Because, you know, I want to bring, uh, you know, we're going to be doing uh, Pembroke, so I want to bring the uh, studios and things back to Chicago. So that's one of the reasons uh, Mr. Renee is here with us. Uh, I want to bring that music system back to Chicago so we can promote the people that have all of the talent that we, because, you know, I got two daughters, two granddaughters that sing. And unless they have the opportunity, they they don't go anyplace. They can't make any money with their talent. So that's another thing that we're going to be creating, radio stations and all that other stuff that we don't have. Among us, we're going to be creating a radio station after the summit. So we're right on point, right on time. So uh, if you would, please keep that information handy and bring it with you so that we can get get going. We've already started, but we gotta we gotta mass the gas. Automobile, um automobile assembly, all of that stuff now is at hand. What what did I say early on? If you want reparation, reach out and get Because it. it's right at your hand. It's ready to tip in your fingers. And oh, no that's one else true. that's why that's why I played um Rich the Mechanic. You know, here's a black guy that he takes, I mean, like, say, Tesla, black Teslas, okay, in the junkyard or, or you know, uh, some junkyard or some auctioneer that's put these wreck Teslas online, and he, he's making a living. He's turned that into a business. So uh, there's scores of opportunities um, for black folk right in front of their face, but you, you, you in my opinion, you got to uh, ignore the color aspect. Now you've got to protect it. There's some things that can that can happen to you that might look like it's colors involved, but in the but in the pioneer phases, the thing is, a lot of African Americans. Well, first thing, let's look at this just. On a pure numbers alone, in the United States, and Chris Rock said this in one of his commentaries, you only find black folks in the United States in a handful of places. 
You're not. It went, Nome, Alaska. Butte, Montana. I mean, you got blacks that live in Alaska. You got blacks that live in Butte, Montana. But there's scores of places where you don't, you won't run into. Matter of fact, there's scores of places, there's scores of airports in this country. And, you know, the airports got people coming and going from all over. There, like, I remember the first time I went to Utah. I was in college. Uh, you know, I went to college on a basketball scholarship. Play Utah State and Logan, Utah. So we had to fly into Salt Lake, and I remember clearly. I'll never forget it. There was not one other than the basketball team. On every time I've, I've gone through Utah, it'd be different these days. And we're talking about Salt Lake City, which is you know the big city there in that state. I didn't see not one black person in the airport. You know, that's that's the crossroads in a lot of places. And we our road games were typically like three days. So they didn't have any black people. They didn't even have any black people on that basketball team. And the only black, I saw one African student in the bleachers during a game at Utah State. Now, it might be more now, but it wasn't when I was playing. And then one night when I was looking for something to eat, well, you know, at, at the um, wherever hotel we were staying at, I only saw one black person that was working at the restaurant, at least because we, we were always looking for something to eat, like midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, something like that. <clears throat> I don't do that crazy. <laughs> I don't eat crazy like that no more, but... But, you know, so in the United States, there's only a handful of places where you're going to see black folk. And then in the cities where you you do see us, um, so it's it's a numbers game. Don't expect to go to Bangor, Maine, and you want to open up uh, a weed shop. Hey, if you go bankrupt, you want to know why? (laughs) Your customer base isn't in Bangor, Maine, if if you want to sell that kind of product, all right? So in cities where black folks are numerically, okay, let's take, God knows how many towns in the United States, over 5,000 of them. It's over five, it's at least 5,000 counties, and the number of towns is dwarfs that. So let's take the top 50, let's say 100, top 100 cities for black folks. Um, well, as a matter of fact, let's take the top 10 to 15 cities where black folks are in the United States. You know, off the top of my head, Chicago, D.C., Boston, uh, Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, that's that's two cities, but that's the Metroplex here in Dallas. Uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Let, let's just deal with that, with that five, six cities I just named. Well, you had numerically Philadelphia, that, you know, that's like in the top. Philadelphia, it used to be the fourth largest city in the United States. Uh, New York City. Let's take those cities. And those cities where numerically you have the most black folks. 
Here's the catch-22 situation. Okay. You don't have enough blacks. Oh, let me phrase this right. In a lot of those cities, blacks are absent from critical fundamental points in the political system in those places. Let's go down to uh, Orange County, Orlando. Trayvon Martin, the Zimmerman case. And here's what I mean by blacks being absent. It's not so much capital, today's podcast, Black Billions, capitalism versus color. All right, let's take the Trayvon Martin case. All right. And here's what I mean. I'm going to illustrate by blacks being absent from the system. Has nothing to do with racism. Has nothing to do with color. It's being absent from the system. Here's what I mean. In Orlando, Orange County, black matter of fact, just in the city of Orlando, I'm not even going to get into the black city that are in Orange County. There's at least two billion dollars. Well, no, there's over a billion dollars and black disposable income in Orlando. At least a billion. Okay. Now, pastor in the United States, black pastor, the black community, we bankroll black pastor to a billion dollars a month. Pastor and first lady get a billion dollars a month from black folk. Now, here's where we're asking. Zimmerman, the Zimmerman case in Trayvon Martin. There's over a billion dollars in disposable income, and Pastor gets a good portion of that in Orlando. The rest of it goes to, you know, rent, mortgage, family, car, and stuff that we need to live. All right. Now, why did Zimmerman get filtered? Was it racism? I say no. It was capitalism. And here's where we here's what I mean by that. The DA, the district attorney, who put out the charging papers on it, Zimmerman got charged with murder. And we've got matter of fact, we we need more in Houston on this. We'll do a podcast on this one day. Zimmerman did not murder Trayvon Martin. Now, let me break that down. This is law study class time, okay, which is a whole nother podcast. There are six, six, yes, at least six distinctions of homicide. The definition of homicide is a human killing another human. Here Here are the distinctions. Suicide, that's when a human kills himself. Obviously, Trayvon Martin did not kill himself, so it wasn't it wasn't that type of a homicide. Murder, first degree and second degree. All right, we're up to three distinctions of murder. Matter of fact, let me name them all: suicide, first degree murder, second degree murder, manslaughter one, manslaughter two, 
negligible uh negligible homicide and um oh god what's the the other one um justified homicide all right justifiable homicide got on the books basically because that protects law enforcement all right and you got police you have police fraternal organizations police for they got that justifiable homicide on the books. Okay. Now, let's go back to murder one and murder two. Murder, particularly first-degree murder, involves premeditation, planning. Zimmerman did not know Trayvon Martin before that whole incident went down. It also... Involves, you know, uh, what's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for besides premeditation? Um, I don't want to mess up the definition, but it's online. But he wasn't, he got charged wrong. The DA put out the incorrect charging papers, but emotionally, which happens to a lot of black folks, and with Al Sharpton, one of the people leading the way, screaming the word murder, not totally ignoring these distinctions of homicide. Zimmerman was guilty of negligible homicide, but he never got charged with that. Now, this is what I mean, capitalism versus color. And this is part of our Black Billions series here. Blacks in Orlando, I'm not even going to get into Orange County, had at that time a billion dollars of disposable income, but we have not, we we were absent from the system of bankrolling our district attorney into office. Because when you bankroll your district attorney into office, then your district attorney is accountable to you. Absent from the system. Because then, if you're, if you're, our, that's why I play the Claude Anderson piece every morning. We got to have politicians, the DA is an elected official that we rent, that we own or lease. If we had own if we had bankrolled the DA into office in Orlando, we had the money, we, the billion dollars was there, still there. Then you got a DA that'll charge the way it should have been charged, and the jury pool would have looked different. And on top of that, when you correctly bankroll a system, you own or lease every judge in that county. Black folks in Orlando, in Orange County, and that's what I mean, absent from the system. Our dollars, our capitalism, our black capitalism was absent from the system. The same thing goes with Mike Brown. The same thing goes with Everett Gardner. The same thing goes with every case that goes left in the black community. 
every last one of them, we have been absent uh, uh, billions of dollars on a local level have been absent. And therefore, it looks like racism. It looks like white supremacy. It looks like whitey's trying to keep us down. But in reality, it's us. We have not bankrolled the system. We have been absent. Let me break it down another way. Ladies, if a man comes up to you and he will ask you out on a date and he doesn't have any money, or he says, you know what, let's go to McDonald's, that's our date. What are the chances of you going out with him, giving him a chance? It's the same thing with politics. This is a district attorney, a mayor, a city councilman, an alderman, all the way up to the president of the United States. We have the money. With the Zimmerman case, we had them. Like say, Justin Orlando, uh, uh, it's probably over a billion. I'm just being conservative. And I'm not even including Orange County. Capitalism versus color. That's why we're going to be bringing more stories about Mims, uh, Richard the uh, Mechanic, all sorts of people that have started businesses and their opportunities left and right. Just with Lakeisha. You know, if you wanted to get into concert promotion, I mean, it it boggles the mind the opportunity. Or, as Pleasant and I occasionally say, the reparations within our reach. All right there. But you, you can't be absent from the system. That you want to profit from. Now, going back, because I before I got off my train of thought, the top, the top fifteen, twenty cities that African Americans are numerically large in. Here's the challenge in those cities, and it has nothing to do with racism or color again, unless you're absent. The larger the city anywhere around the planet, the larger the city, the more rules and regulations, the more regulated it is. The smaller the city, the less rules and regulations, the less governments in your business, the more freedom you have. Now, there's some exceptions if you if you're in a business or you create an industry and let's say you live in, let's take somebody like Bill Gates or uh, Mark Zuckerberg, two guys who were multi-billionaires before age 30. How did they do it? And they could have lived in any place, New York City, San Francisco, London, because essentially the internet, even now, now 2018 going to 2019 is virtually, 
The government hasn't found a way to regulate it yet. Banking regulated, highly regulated. Insurance highly regulated. Driving, picking up people in New York City, highly regulated. However, you go to a more remote part of New York State, it's a field day. You can get rich. So a lot of black folk haven't found their riches because they're in a highly regulated and geographical environment. Once again, the more people, the more regulation. And the more regulation there is, that's when you need the lobbyists. That's when you need the district attorneys. That's when you need to bankroll these people. Now, if you go to a little small city, you know, in a rural area, you might not have to get politically involved to a certain extent. Or if you just go fishing, you're good. A Mayberry type of situation. But in your larger cities, a lot of, like, say, the parents of blacks getting, the, you know, the raw, it looks like regular, like, say, in the large cities, you've got to, in some place like Chicago, you've got to be a baller. You've got to bankroll every alderman around the table. T. Boone Pickens, the, the oil billionaire, uh, Mesa Petroleum, he spent over a billion dollars just to get some type of legislation in his favor in little, one little small part of Texas. He had to bankroll the entire Texas legislature. So if you're in, if you're in a place where there, uh, where numerically there are a lot of black people, you're gonna have to do the same thing. That's why I went rural. Because you gotta have five. The way I look at it, you gotta have five. No politician will tell you that, and you gotta do everything legal. But that's the reality. That's what. That's why I play the Claude Anderson piece every morning. But if you go to areas. Because you can, there, there's scores of places in this country where basically it it, it is easier. Like for instance, Pleasant, Border, Pembroke, Illinois, and Hopkins Heights, Illinois. You know, those places are small in population, and you can do things in those places that you will not be able to do in Chicago, because basically Chicago has been bought and paid for over a hundred years ago. Unless you do something like Bill, like once again a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg, local governments, state governments, and the federal government, outside of this net neutrality, have not figured out how to how to regulate the internet yet. Mind you, I said yet. But if you go to a smaller place, um. Then, you know, if you want to build cars or what, you know, whatever, you're going to have a field day. As well as in some places you might you might have to because American labor is expensive. It's less expensive in certain cities that you go to. For instance, if I were to, let's say, build anything, I wouldn't do it in Chicago, D.C., Boston, Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, Miami. I would go to some place like Pittsburgh, Toledo, Akron, Ohio, 
maybe Indianapolis, Flint, Michigan. I would go to some places like that because labor in American labor in those places are less expensive. However, if I really had to bite the budget, then I'm gonna jump on a plane and go to Haiti or drive down to Mexico. Brazilian border towns that I can get stuff manufactured and just get it back over the border legally and go from there. So I, we'll cover all the future it's miles. Uh, let's go back to um, Pleasant, and we'll go into more detail on uh, capitalism versus color, because like I say, where you are geographically, you, you got to factor that in. Just like a lot of people talked about Obama didn't do black folks, he did more for gay people. Well, gay people bankrolled the man in office. Name a black political action committee and name a black super PAC. These are the people that bankroll elections people. And part of the bankrolling, they hire hire lobbyists who have the connections. Name a black lobbyist. 619768 2945. The sin and the shame of it is we can name more black professional athletes than we can name black lobbies. There's something wrong with that picture. We're not going to catch a break of police shooting black people until we know more black lobbyists than black athletes and entertainers. That's the bottom line of it. So whatever money you get the pastor, I'm not saying don't give it to pastor, but you better break find a lobbyist, get a think tank going, a funded like the Brookings, you know, organization, Brookings Institute. You know, we we need to, you know. And we'll have some lobbyists on as well. Uh, let's see. Let me go back to the phone lines here. 773, Pleasant, any other comments? I don't think I can add nothing to what you said today. <laughs> I think I think you got it down to a science today, buddy. You explained it about as well as it can be explained. Yes, sir. That's the reason why I've said so many times, unless you have a vested interest in a capitalistic system, you ain't going no place. Unless you have a vested interest in a capitalistic system. You know what? You know what? That's the right term, Pleasant. I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't bring it up when I was on my my rant. Until we get a vested interest in in our local police departments, invested interest is bankrolling and having to say so, over who's going to be the police chief until we have a vested interest in writing the policy of the local police. Because we can, if we have a vested interest, we can say no, no deadly weapons on this particular force. And let's say, let's say it's Ferguson, Missouri. If we have a vested interest, you get it by bankrolling the system. You got to bankroll the whole city council of Ferguson, Missouri. You got to bankroll your police chief in there and the city council. And you can say, you know what, in Ferguson, Missouri, 
There's no more weapons. We, the city will no longer purchase deadly weapons for the police force. Now, you might want to have weapons that incapacitate but not kill. We, we can, that option is available now. But if you're absent from the system by not having a vested interest, it's not going to happen. There'll be other Mike Browns. There'll be other Eric Gardners, and so on down the line. Now, you either that's that, one or you move to someplace in Maine and be free. Well, that's one of the things that we're going to be I'm taking the main option. I don't mind being in Maine out in the wilderness, but that's me. Well, that's going to be one of the things we're going to be speaking on in uh, Pembroke, Illinois, is daily weapons and people uh, participating in coming into the city of of, uh, Pembroke. Because right now it doesn't have it doesn't have any crime, so we're going to try we're going to try to organize it to where we can keep it that way, because that's the way it is. It has no crime. So my grandkids was asking the mayor says, well, "What kind of crime do you have?" The mayor said, "None." So well, he said, "Well, we just got our post." Uh, uh, we just got our uh, charter to have our own police department. He said, you mean you ain't have, don't have any crime in Pembroke? He said, no, we don't have any crime in Pembroke. And, the, and my, my grandson says, this is where I want to be. So, know, there's all places like that, like in Taft, uh, they, they could have their own police, and they had one at one time, but they just got rid of it. Because when you're in a small community, basically, everybody knows everybody and you can police it. Yeah. But that, so, that's in a small yeah, place. When you get to a place like Chicago, you got to have, it's too large, you got to have a, a organization that does police when you get to a certain number. Yeah, because, you know, we've been looking at uh, the police that shot this young man 16 times here in Chicago. And they wanted to change and take his trial out of Cook County. Well, the judge turned it down because of the protest. But see, protesting is one thing. Protesting doesn't do anything but bring, make people aware of what's going on. But when right. you have the power, when you have the power to make decisions, like the judge says, no, we're going to keep his trial in Chicago, then that's the power that we need to have. And the power that we need to have is to make sure that we have equal justice. And if we don't have equal justice, you don't have no vested interest, period. And the only way you're going to get equal justice is to get a vested interest in the system. That's the only way you're going to get it. There's no other way to do it. No, no. That's that's the way it is. Like the young lady was talking about protecting her rights. All the music and stuff that she played, and uh, bank rolling and DJs, and all that other stuff. She's 100% right. 100% right for protecting her goods and the hard work that she's done. But at the same time, 
she got to have a customer base. And she was talking about the budget that you have to have to have a customer base because you got to keep investing money to get your to get your work out. Well, to me, if you put that right beside farming, that and farming is just pretty much the same thing. That and business, what she's talking about, is the same thing. So all of it boils down to having a vested interest in a capitalistic system. That's what it boils down to. Right. Unless, unless collectively we have a, unless collectively we have a vested interest in the total capitalistic system, what do we expect somebody to do? Give us enough money to be equal, have the equal power to them? That's not going to happen. Not, that's not going to happen. No. You mean to tell me if I'm driving a Cadillac, I'm going to buy you a Cadillac so you can have one like mine and you didn't work for it? I doubt it. I doubt it very much. So, you know, we got to get off of this thing and talking about I'm going to wait for somebody to give me something. Give me what? Give me some more problems. That's all you're going to get. That's that's where the entitlement programs have been a detriment to us. Because with the yeah. entitlement programs, you know, get, you know, Section Eight and all this other stuff, um, it, 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 you know, some of us, not all of us, okay, expect, like you said, some people re- actually think that somebody's going to give it to us, and if we pray to Jesus long enough, it, it's not going to happen. Well, we have the money. We even had a brain power. You know we that lady that had seven, You know that lady that had seventeen children? Yeah. And and that, that and that clip you played about this person making a thousand dollars a day? Yeah. And she had seventeen bread. kids and she, and she don't and she's talking bread. about she's homeless. How many how many lawns can can her and her children cut in one day's time? Ten ten thousand dollars in a month. And you're going you to mean a day or a week? Yeah. I'm saying, I don't see nobody being home. Well, I take it back. I take it back to to another level. Birds got more sense than that. Squirrels got more sense than that. They all put up stuff for the winter. They know that the winter's going, the weather's going to change, so they prepare for it. This person has 17 kids that didn't prepare for providing for the children that they were having and the fun that they were enjoying and become homeless with the children. What are the children going to have and what are they going to know unless you teach them how to make a living in a capitalistic system? How? They, too, will grow up being dependent on a system which puts them in jail and they become slaves voluntarily again. That's what you call volunteer slavery. I don't right. know how you can chop it up to call it anything else. When you come out, when you commit a crime and get locked up, what do you call it? And you know what's interesting about Detroit? What you're saying, because Detroit, a certain percentage of the black Men there have been incarcerated. This that's that I get it, but it, that for a long time now. So it, and you do have a number of blacks who do own businesses in Detroit, 
But once again, there's too many of us who have been. And what I mean absent from the system is this. You can vote somebody in the office that that is black. But see, it's behind the scenes of bankrolling various things that interest you. That's where we have been absent. Yeah, that's where we've been that's at. Right. As a matter of fact, Judge Joe Brown, who we had on here about a couple of months ago, he said it. Most black judges had to bankroll their elections out of their own pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got to, we, so you like know, that's because we've had such a bit. You, you don't have to twist to. our arms to bankroll pastor. You don't have to twist our nope. arms the bank roll well, me, first lady's birthday birthday well, let me, gift let me, or whatever. Let me let me tell you, let me show you what a pastor's let me show you what a pastor's collaboration and protection is. The they built a system that we had nothing to do with and they and they call it five oh one C three. And if you collect the money over the pulpit and you are having five oh one C three, you cannot take the money from your members and invested in the community. And that's where he has a wall between you and the industry that that's being developed in your community with uh with investors that are not the ministers coming in to going to the bank, getting the money, coming into the community, buying up the land and the and apartments and the and all that other stuff, and opening businesses, and financing it from the bank with the money that you deposited on Monday. It's a recycling system that's in place to protect the preacher for taking the money to the white folks. They might not like what mm-hmm. I said, but but I like probably look at the capitalistic system, how it is brainwashing people and if you want to know the truth go to the Willie Lynch letter and read it indefinite and you'll see what I'm talking about okay it's well look we're out of time so on that note we'll be back tomorrow